I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. Over the last few years, there's been a refrain in marketing communications I've heard on an ever more frequent basis. Should we have an app? The question's always thrown in as if building, maintaining and marketing an app is a five-minute job that anyone can do. The fact is, the world of apps is incredibly tough. There are 2.2 million apps on iOS. On Google Play, it's even more, with 3.5 million apps. And not only is competition immense, but the technical complexity is incredible. So today we're going to talk about some of that with the co-founder of the ride-sharing app, Scoot. Mark Stringer, or Strings as he's more commonly known, founded PR agency Pretty Green in 2008. He said he didn't actually intend to set up a marketing agency. He'd already spent 12 years scaling an agency and loved doing it, but having done it once, he really didn't want to do it again. I was being approached by a Michelin star chef um, to create a business called The Kitchen. I was being asked to sit on the board of Brit Doc, the British Documentary Film Foundation, as it was then. And I was being approached about creating, a um, at the time it was a whiskey, and in the end we created a, an absinthe. So in my mind, it, I'd always thought, not a portfolio play, but this idea of, uh, I hate the term actually, entrepreneur, i.e. someone who doesn't want a boss or someone who can't have a boss is, is my, my sort of belief. So I, I'd always had this idea of, actually, I was just liked business. I liked startups and I liked doing different things. By 2018, he'd reached a point in his life where he'd spent over two decades in agencies. And whereas some agency owners want to become part of a network or an international group, Strings wasn't at that stage in his career. In his words, he didn't want to have his expenses poured over. He says he was beginning to feel old and that there were better people around him in different areas that should be leading the agency forward. He'd been talking to the board about different options and how to progress individuals when fate stepped in. Out of the blue, Greg Gormley, who was a previous client, Greg just messaged me saying, hey, check me out, 24 hours in A&E. And I was like, what? And there's this sort of uh, amazing episode of Greg, uh, virtually, I say amazing episode. <laughs> he was dying on, on, a, on, a, on a bed after being hit by a car on a motorbike. As a result of that random conversation, Strings and Greg reconnected and went out for dinner where Greg's idea for Scoot came up. The concept was a social mobility app that connected people who drive with people who want to give lifts. Within a month or so, Greg invited Strings to become a non-executive director to help on the marketing side, and eventually asked him to join Scoot as a co-founder. I suppose serendipity, maybe I was looking for something, maybe, you know, I was just captivated by this idea. And I went back to the board and said, look, there's this opportunity I think it's really good for the business. I think it's really good for me. I think it's really good for you guys. What do you think? The response was hugely positive. And so supported by the Pretty Green board and by his wife, Wendy, Strings was able to lean into something different and start working out how to transition into another business. Strings says that the uncharted territory of creating brands and being involved in new business is always something that he's enjoyed. The fun and excitement of not quite knowing what you're going to do next and quietly creating something from nothing and seeing where it goes is ingrained in him. 
Strings and Greg started developing Scoot about two years ago, and it's gone through something of an evolution in that time. We started originally as a B2C business, which was a, uh, the first carbon negative lift sharing app. And that was, that was the original uh, vision for the business and the idea that we were going to enable people to lift share amongst friends, take the awkwardness out of it, the price, um, how you connected people, uh, how you could ask for a lift or how, how you could uh, offer up a lift. Uh, and that was the business offering. And we saw, in my mind, we were our enemy and I say our enemy, but you know what we were going to try and do is disrupt the market around ride hailing and ride sharing, and that's what Scoot was going to be. You know, Paddy Power and meets Red Bull against Uber was probably the vision for Scoot in my mind from the from the very early days. What we are now and the evolution over the last two years with a number of things changing is basically Scoot helps businesses achieve net zero today. By enabling you know businesses to identify, to offset and avoid CO two emissions for all their staff when it comes to car travel, and you know we are now a platform, a B two B platform really for businesses around this whole car travel and CO two emissions and and the race to net zero effectively, yeah. and that evolution for Scoot was. If I talked about a, a, an Uber or a, you know other ride-hailing apps, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, as everyone needs an enemy, you know the enemy was about, you know, there our our enemy now is really our enemy is not Uber at all our, or anyone like that. Our enemy is carbon, and right. that's you know that's our our goal to help businesses race to net zero to help them achieve their ESG goals in a very simple way, and we went from just. I suppose what we talk now, we talk about carpooling. We are more than a carpooling app because now we enable every single drive that you do. We can offset that drive. We, you know, just by going into the app, and we have inbuilt live navigation for every single drive that you do in a car. And then off the back of that, we nudge people to carpool. So for us, that that you know, carpooling and lift sharing is really exciting. It's really interesting. It's the only way truly we can reduce the amount of traffic on the road. It's yeah. the only way we can reduce congestion. It's the only way that we can reduce the huge amount of carbon emissions. But how many times are people carpooling versus how many times are people in the car? You will take a taxi maybe 20 times a year. You will be in a car in the UK nearly 600 times a year. You will do a journey. You will drive. So, you know, that's where we really want to offer something for businesses and what we're doing is around that every drive you can use scoot traveling to work your car commute and all car travel so i mean that that whole b2b play is, is pretty unique isn't it in in this sort of area it's it's not something you would naturally jump to probably how's it been received so far yeah, from our perspective, I'm a natural B2C person, probably, uh, you know, that in a mindset, that's what we'd always thought about, you know, and maybe that's why Greg and I were getting so excited when we first met and we were talking about doing these huge, uh, in, I say influencer, but talent driven events where we were going to um, do drive-ins and we would, you know, surprise and delight and celebrities would turn up to drive you to an event when you, you know, and you'd be like, oh, wow, look, he's driving me to this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get really excited about that because yeah. that's the world that, I've lived in and the more that you look at it and you go okay that's amazing that's that's great there's a commercial perspective that says you are doing all the heavy lifting you are building the brand from the get-go um, that's a high cost investment it's a high yeah. cost in marketing 
one of our board advisors, Liad, is X Ways, X Google, okay, Here Technologies. The term industry expert gets banded around a lot, as you know. Liad is an absolute leading legend expert in this space, having come from those businesses. And he was pushing us quite hard when we were you know, talking to him and getting him on board and saying, are you sure about B2C? I really think B2B. And that's what SOMO and Here Technologies were really driving. And he was pushing us hard saying, I really think your play is B2B. I really think there's much more forgiving nature of a of a technology when the business says you have to use this piece of technology yeah 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 yeah, makes sense and what was happening as we were talking to lots of brands and partnerships from whether it's sports clubs or or just on our journey of you know do you want to adopt this and conversations with big companies that were running prison service running universities running you know concierge service for banks that they were really excited about what Scoop could do from a carpooling for businesses, it began to become more and more apparent that the the platform play rather than an app for a consumer, that actually building a platform for businesses who were really struggling to understand how they identify their CO2, how they actually avoid it or offset it, and having a, a turnkey solution around the fact that you know, depending on the number, 25% of all CO2 comes from car travel. Yeah. You kind of go scope three measurement is really difficult. Mm. So it's taken some time, Paul, don't get me wrong. It, you know, it's not been a natural, hey, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we've evolved into that idea of, of it. And actually the last, I would probably say the last three months, we've got more and more focused on it to the point now where it is literally we are a b2b business and the c we talk about a community we talk about building a community and what you'll see over the next i would say three four weeks from scoot is a very different window into the brand if you go into the scootride.com now you can see scoot it's still got that a bit of that legacy and there's a there's a talk about the business bit getting contact but what you'll see is us if it isn't talking about the business, if it isn't solving that problem for businesses around their race to net zero, and I, you know, those two, three things that I keep saying: how do you identify, how do you offset, and how do you avoid the CO two emissions around car travel for businesses? You won't see us talking about it. Okay, so when you got involved with this thing, and then and then obviously you started talking about, it and you and you really gave it the go ahead. What did you know? before about building you're calling it a platform but it's operated through an app but what did you know about building something like that before had you had experience of really building the guts of something like that away from the i guess away from the marketing side i mean some people call me delusional uh, or, or naive <laughs> at times i i think in in my mind i've learned that it can't be that difficult because loads of people do it. And that, right. maybe that's a foolish uh, <laughs> sort of mindset. And Because I remember first setting up, you know, when you set up your first business, it feels overwhelming a bit. It feels a little bit like, I don't know how to do How do you get that number? How do you actually register a business? And, and then you sort of look around and you see how many businesses there are. You know, from an SME perspective, there are 5.9 million businesses yeah, yeah. in the UK. 
so there's something that's always been in me that it can't be that difficult. I just find people who can do this, who are better than me. So that's always my mindset that's been like, well, just surround yourself with people who have done it and learn yeah. from them. I've built websites back in the day. I've built a lot, you know, I've been involved in that. I was in a software business. So, but more marketing software and more marketing games um, and built lots of websites along that journey. And in my mind, it was maybe a thirst for knowledge. But you're right, I had no concept of what it took to build an app. Greg had worked with um, a team previously in Bulgaria and had engaged them. And I just went on that journey learning, you know, trying to find everything I can, sitting on every call. I still do it now with uh, Alex, who's our sort of CTO, and Dan, our director of product. And I go, look, stupid question, but. Yeah. And there's a lot of that we're very small we were a very small team then and you know you're you're involved in everything and you're you know learning as you go and you're you know signing up to every single piece of software you can then whether it's figma or whatever and partly doing the designs yourself and just you have to want to know and you have to not be too embarrassed to not know and and not have pride that says look i'm quite senior now i'm quite old i've got lots of experience but you know what don't know how to do this yeah and that for some of us we love it i mean i absolutely love that stuff that thirst for knowledge that learning new things yeah 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 absolutely what have the major challenges of that been in in terms of that process of well firstly from your perspective finding out that stuff but secondly in terms of actually building the thing i mean has it been is it been the ux or the tech behind it or i mean what 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 have you sort of discovered as you've gone there's the one thing that everyone talks about on a new business or a business startup is it always takes longer than you hope or think. So there is a there is a frustration that why why does everything take so long that you naturally have. I think there's you know in this you know space you, you the complexity of tech and, and what can keep breaking that you know and, and we've built if you think about what we've built as an app if you think of the app we we've sort of got three or four apps in one so the ability to have a navigation app uh, the ability you know think about ways we've kind of built ways within the app the ability to do carpooling in the app the ability to ask for help on errands in the app you know we've got an amazing amount of complexity mm. in one app if you think of uber you've got a driver app and you've got a, a rider app we've we've got everything baked into one so that level of complexity that we've built in an app in a very short space of time means that the app can break it means you know on android there are as i keep being told there are sixty thousand variations of handset to operating wow. systems so you've you've got this complexity in ios is is a bit simpler and I think that's taken me quite a while to embrace why things maybe take a lot longer, why sprints can get hung up on introducing a, a new SDK from one of our providers as a map provider, or a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that's taken me probably longer to accept that things take time, that it's not straightforward, that when there's a bug, why can't it just be debugged? Yes, absolutely. You know, you know yeah. the bug, just 
debug it why why is it so complex why why just guys sort it out can't be that difficult we we got to the moon you know there is a there is a sense and and my natural it can't be that difficult people have done it before that that restlessness that i have can create tension for me can create tension for the team if i'm honest because i just you know there's something about you don't want to be too forgiving all the time and and because otherwise you know everyone takes everyone's like yeah it's just the way it is <laughs> it's like no we 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 need to we've got a date we've got to hit this date it, it, we we've got to get something into market and you know i've learned a lot on that process i've learned to to be more understanding on on some levels about how long it does take i think dealing with reviews and approvals from apple is you know a, a shifting sands beyond okay. belief as to now they're doing this and now this has to change and do they change how often do they seem to change their approval processes uh, oh every every time you seem to put something in right okay. um you know that that you know if you think of all this uh, data privacy and the privacy space and the arguments between facebook and yeah, yeah. and apple that have been going on you know those big conversations you know they're forever reviewing the, the way that apps get built the way that um historically the amount of data that you got or the amount of tracking um that was enabled in for for businesses to be able to know everything about everyone and where you were and now apple i think quite rightly is has, has really led the way of making it much more transparent you know if you look now as soon as you open an app, it says, do you want to, you know, this app to know everything about you mm. every second of every day? And, and quite rightly, most of us are, no, no, I don't. It's maybe when I use the app, but I don't want it in background. Very difficult to have a mobility app or a driving app that doesn't know where two people are. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, hey, I can, can I'm, I'm coming to get you. Um, I, I'm on my way. Oh, actually we don't know where you are because apple have made it really difficult because people are opting out so that journey of of the big businesses like apple really focused on that and, and often it's it takes a while to go through what they're saying you know you have to kind of sometimes unpick it and the guys spend they spend ages you know when there's a new release from apple looking at what they're what they're saying and is it transparent is it really clear? And sometimes you you get a rejected review, and you're trying to understand why. And you, because it wasn't you know rejected last time, so you can put exactly the same bundle in as it were, apart from some changes on something else. And what was approved last time gets rejected, and everyone's standing around scratching their heads, going, "Hold on, why has this been rejected?" So, you know, that process is for, for everyone in this, in the app world and in, in, in building these things. I think when you talk to people who are in the same, you know, the shifting sands, what was right then isn't right next week is, is probably something you need to lean into. This idea that, that it's not as cookie cutter as you ever want. Do you worry that perhaps there will be changes in future around like you say permissions and security and data and and, and whatever's coming that make things like scoot impossible to work i mean is that something you've talked about at a top level or or not um there are there were things i think that we were looking at that you know the way that we 
initiated different aspects that were text-based that were that were alert based as it were that were changing things that that took us a long time to to get our heads around what that would do but i think the fundamentals of us of what we look at are we are trying to do something we we talk about this mantra and mindset of uh, win-win so it has to work for the planet it has to work for you and it has to work for us and we're very transparent about that about it's not just this idea about shareholder value and scaling a business and i think that's why b corp's really interesting Mm. you know about the employees about you know where does it sit how are we all in this together so we've always had this mindset about one you know win-win work for everyone but also this idea of you know trying to set a standard trying to be transparent trying to do what's right it would have been very easy for us just to launch the app and not care about the planet and for us no we wanted to set a standard why not be carbon negative from the get-go you know when when we look at the carbon station that we have and you know we work on the basis that a ton of carbon is around 178 trees now the reason that we take that figure and that, that figure is is really high because you can go on the web now and search how much how many trees do i need to plant to offset a ton of carbon and you'll see maybe one two yeah if you want to take the 25 to 35 life of a tree, you can do that. Yeah. But that's not the standard we should be setting. We set the standard that we take only the the carbon of a tree of, of, of just about five kilograms of a sapling. Right. And we take one year. Yeah. And we take one year for a sapling, and therefore that's 178, 179 trees. That standard, that that sort of best in class, this is the right thing to do for you, this is the right thing to do for the planet, I think puts us in good stead because it means that if Apple or you know, Google decide that they want to change something, we'd like to think that we're already doing the most honorable things and we're doing the things that are right for you, as opposed to, oh, this is a bit sneaky we shouldn't be doing it but we are Mm. and i think that's you know it's right that we we lead by example and that as a new green tech you know sustainable business that that you you can't be great for the planet but really bad for the user I, i think that that is as immoral really Podcast analysis has always been a major problem for marketers, with outreach efforts reliant on dubious download numbers and a lot of guesswork. Until now. Podchaser Pro is a new service that solves the problem for podcasters and marketers alike. I caught up with co-founder Cole Raven. We've built this new product around audience sizes so that as like a PR agency or a marketing agency, you can use this tool to really understand how many listeners every podcast gets. And then we provide contact information on top of that. We understand how many people are listening to a podcast, how far they get into each episode, in some cases, demographic data. You can't find that anywhere else. Check it out at podchaserpro.com forward slash digital download. It's very striking when talking through the development process with Strings that, although, as he says, it can't be that difficult to build an app as there are millions of them, the complexities and approvals are mind-boggling. And building and maintaining an app is only half the battle, as there's also the marketing side to consider. 
Whenever I've worked on apps in the past, it's always struck me as a numbers game. You have to reach a lot of people to get a few people to download your app, as there's a lot of scepticism out there. And even when they have, you still have to get them to actually use it. I asked Strings if that reflects his experience, and therefore whether it impacts the marketing strategy. So we took, you know, the approach, which was, which is fairly well trodden, but was really a lot of A-B testing, if I think about the the consumer aspect of it. it really was a lot of ab testing a lot of small fires and maybe that comes from you know this mindset of you know red bull talk about you know lighting small fires lots of you know small activations lots of getting people you know into the brand and yeah, can in hand yeah. and maybe those type of mindsets um sat with me this idea of you know you've you've got to test and learn and in a market that there wasn't anyone like Scoot, you know, notwithstanding COVID and et cetera. But this idea of actually, how do we get people to really lean into what Scoot's trying to do because they believe in the cause, they believe in the mindset, they like, they buy into the emotional connection of, of the brand itself, but they buy into the emotional connection of what the mission we're on, of where we're going to try and really change, you know, what was then around social mobility offering, this is something for them. So, you know, we, we had about 20 brand ambassadors around universities promoting Scoot, talking about Scoot, using Scoot. We did lots of A-B testing around, you know, the fairly standard Facebook, Instagram ads. We were working with the likes of a, a Taptica app, Samurai, in, you know, what I'd call fat thumbs, you know, when you're gaming and you keep seeing those pop-ups. Working with partners like Tree App, signing up Forest Green, uh, the greenest football club in the world, and, and Bolton and building a community and for us it was just lots of little touches lots of getting the brand out there and beginning to see what what worked and what didn't not committing huge sums of money not looking at it going okay we've got big budgets and therefore we commit this money but building out a playbook building out the things that we thought you know would work to enable us to scale because the plan wasn't okay look we're going to be really big here in the uk the the plan has always been how do we scale internationally quickly and the only way to do that is to know your playbook to know what works and then scale really quickly across each market so that that was always the plan and that hasn't changed really about what's your playbook know your playbook can you articulate your playbook do you know what works and what doesn't work discount what doesn't and then move on and the the shift now in this b2b model is very much you know, I, I maintain that a B2B brand should be as engaging and connect emotionally as a B2C brand. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. It's just a slightly different audience. And yep. we've had lots of conversations about it around because I really believe that the people we're talking to, the sustainability directors, the HR directors, you know, that the ESG goal around staff is as important as the ESG goal around environment and sustainability and we we cross over those two things and therefore our end user are is ultimately staff and they need to like the brand and they need to buy into the mindset and that's that shift of making sure that we are connecting with you know those those stakeholders and the decision makers but also the end user and they, they feel good about it rather than you know, being told that you have to use this new yeah, expense yeah. Uh, software and you go, oh, I hate it. Why are you making me use it? We want people to feel really proud and, and actually celebrate the fact that their business has said, 
guys, we're on this journey. We need to identify actually the fact that we know 70% of people part drive and use a car to work. You know, they're the national stats in the UK alone, you know, over 500 journeys, 278 billion miles. We need to identify that 70% of people drive a round trip of 20 miles. Okay, and then we need to offset those, but we don't want to greenwash. So then we need to avoid them. So that's where carpool, but we need you to love the brand and love the journey. And so there's definitely that that's held true to us. And, and it's about, you know, attending the right events, building the right uh, collateral, the playbook for those HR people to become our advocates. We talk about scoot supporters, those people, you know, everyone's looking for that solution now. You know, really, if you, it's easy to get a hand raised. Do you want to be better for the environment? Do you want your car to not be one of those, you know, cars that's killing 40,000 people prematurely every year? And the answer is obviously yes. And, and I think that's what we're leaning into. When you're talking about the ESG side of things, and obviously you talk to businesses about this, and like you say, top people within businesses, I mean, obviously, this is something that you personally are very passionate about. And I know lots of other people who are very passionate about this as well. I, I have a sense and I might be this might be just be being really cynical, but the ESG side of things can be a bit of a, a tick box operation. Have you have you have you sensed that anywhere? Or, or like I said, is that just me being totally cynical and actually companies are embracing ESG in a, in a really meaningful way? If you'd have asked me, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, did I think it was going to become on every single CEO sort of high board agenda, I'd have said absolutely not. And I believe that it will come through consumer power. And there will be certain brands like a Patagonia that is leading the way, you know, everyone talks about brand purpose. It's like, no, it's not brand purpose. It's a marketing driven brand purpose campaign. You don't believe in brand purpose. Yeah, you yeah, believe yeah, in yeah. marketing brand purpose. It's not at the, it's not in your company DNA. You're just ch- ticking boxes. And I, and I would have said that. I think the difference now that I see is I thought it would be consumer power. And I don't believe it is. I believe it's, it's two, twofold really. One is, a belief now in business that they need to change and they want to change. And the cynic in me, if you looked at it and said, okay, purely cynically strings, the only reason they're doing that is they can see a carbon tax coming. Yeah, yeah. And that may be the case. And that may be, if you look in Germany, for every single ton of carbon that you output per person is a 25 euro hit to start. Not, not the offset, that offset will be probably between 30 and 50 euros per per person. So in Germany, you are looking at about a 75 euro hit, call it 50 euros, hit per employee now. Right. So if you're a big organization, you're looking at Germany and you're saying, hold on, how many people have we got? 10,000 people at 50 euros each? Yeah. Off our bottom line today, that's a big thing. And you know, when you look at what Shell were told to reduce their, you know, emissions by forty-five um, percent, not an offset by forty-five percent, you know it's coming. So every major consultant in the world in this space and every big management consultancy knows that it's coming, and probably that may have driven that board agenda. Either way, whatever the reason is, it is high on the agenda point, and 
that has meant that when you have a conversation about it, people are going, absolutely, yes, right. I, I need something and I don't know where to start. And can we continue the conversation? So if you're in that place of not knowing where to start, or even if you're further down the path but want to do more, what can you do about it? So for Scoop, that we're talking and you know working through with lots of very big businesses that are looking at it from a multi-site perspective, from um, internationally, we're working with businesses that are twenty people, fifty people, a hundred people. So if you are a, a business where some people drive to work, as I say, twenty people, drop me an email at help at scootride.com. Let's have a conversation because the reality is, how many trees did you plant? last week how many trees did you offset the week before and how many drives did you did your business do and and what are you doing to make a difference and the answer probably is very little and if we all could do one thing if we could plant one tree it would make such a massive difference there are you know 200,000 people driving the M25 every day those people you know being blockaded that's 200,000 trees every day we could plant by simply using Scoot. What I would say is just, you know, get in contact and and let's try and do something. It's a relatively simple process to get on the platform. It's a relatively cheap process if you're a small business. And let's make a difference because now we can. And, and hopefully we've got something in Scoot that makes it simple for any business of any size to get involved and, and do something today rather than waiting for someone else to do it tomorrow. What we don't know at the minute and we're we're i think businesses are trying to find their way through this is the sustainability director that used to sit either as you know in the big businesses they that was the hr person and they were you know being disparaging of what the role was of of around environment was do not do you need to press print you know it was it was that 10 years ago wasn't it yeah yep, now you know, you have a sustainability director or the HR director has it. And it's a massive opportunity for businesses to really make a difference. And also they want to. And I think that's the exciting bit is, you know, we know we need to change COVID and the global pandemic. I think regardless of whether you think it came out of a lab, regardless of whether you think it was to do with, you know, meat in a market, I think we're all sat here going, hmm, I'm feeling quite vulnerable and I think mother nature is giving us a kick in the ass. And uh, whereas before I don't think, you know, the world could pivot or, you know, change in such a quick way. I think we're all sat here thinking it might be. And the IPCC report in August, you know, code red for humanity was, I think, you know, it doesn't probably get more brutal than that. Many thanks to Strings for his time for this episode. If you'd like to catch up with him further, look him up on LinkedIn or email him at help at scootride.com. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.